2: Connect to more. Hey! It's new
1: is Now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
2: Yeah, I grew up on the
1: crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. at second hands, moms bounced on old men. So then we moved to and Land. A young dude, you're rocking the goat to in the G.O. is drug And let's like this, son. rolling with this one and that one. Pulling
0: out gas for fun. But it was just the dream for the team. I can't see Regime's dance moves, but I know he's dancing and grooving to that one. One of the great hip-hop tracks of all time. Cash rules everything around me. Wu-Tang Clan, welcome back in. Nuwana is now. World tonight. ESPN Missoula. SWX Montana Television. One-stop shop for all things sports. And on Fridays, all things hip-hop. Around the great state of Montana. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Coulter Niwanis. Regime Seabrook is in studio. I'm in Ogden. So we are 500 miles apart, yet we're still doing a live radio show that's also on television. Technology blows my mind. Where were you the first time you ever heard Cream, Regime? <laughs>
1: Son, I, I, first of all, Tommy, I'm so glad you're back in studio. You make me want to put on my old baggy jeans, my old Timbo's, and throw on an anorak and just troop around real quick circa 1992. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm even going back to that jargon. I just heard it in my voice. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the first time I heard Wu-Tang, um, I was in a locker room, and we had just finished uh, football practice. And my boy comes in, and he goes, have you heard about this thing called Shaolin? And I was like, Yeah, I watched the Kung Fu flicks son. I know like Shaolin monks, you know, walking cranes, all that good stuff. And he goes, No, it's like these guys from Staten Island. I was like, Hip hop from Staten Island? Only thing out there is a garbage dump. Like no one even thinks about Staten Island. And then he put that in and the first single I heard was Cream. And I said, What else do you have? And then I heard Method Man and then we just listened to Cream like 12 times, like, in a row. We just couldn't get enough of it. So, like, that is my favorite original Wu-Tang banger song of all time is cash everything around me.
0: It's so good, man. So, the the Shaolin thing is such a part of the Wu-Tang culture. It's such a part of the, the allure where did that even come from? Are these guys were just loving watching Kung Fu movies growing up, or what? I mean, why did these guys decide to to identify themselves as like these Kung Fu ninjas, even though they're from Staten Island, New York?
1: So every like growing up, I'll give you some historical context on back in the day before cable blew up in New York, we had we had four or five stations. So we had like CBS, NBC, ABC, this thing called Pix, and then Channel Five, which is eventually what became Fox. But back in the days, it was totally something different. And after cartoons would go off on Saturdays, from 1 to 4 o'clock, they would just play all the old school, like, Run Run Rickshaw kung fu movies. And a lot of them were, like, Shaolin versus Wu-Tang, The Five Deadly Venoms, uh, The Five Elemental Ninjas. I can't believe I'm remembering all this. And that was, like, a big thing in the late 70s to early 80s. So if you were a kid this that was like your genre after cartoons and it was so far fetched and it was all the bad dubbing and english guys trying to sound a certain way but the choreography was like pre matrix it was it was something american kids had never seen before and totally bought in and then when you go on to like a social racial cultural level all of a sudden you saw guys kicking butt that weren't just white guys. Like they were, it was, wait a second, like someone else beside Charles Bronson can kick someone's butt. Someone else beside Yul Brenner can can win a fight. So like the cultural identity, some see something outside of the homogenized population doing things in an action filled movie was like mind blowing back in the day to kids. So you get that together. Plus Staten Island is one of the, the five boroughs that make makes New York up. They're kind of out there on their own. So like Brooklyn and and Queens are attached, you know, Manhattan and the Bronx are attached, and then it was just Staten Island kind of out there on its own. So sort of like the Shaolin monks, they were out there on their own doing their own thing. So you correlate all of that, especially with the grimeiness of Staten Island and then just hip-hop blowing up. Overall, you get the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh yeah, again and again.
0: Lessons in pop culture with Regime Seabrook here on Nuwana's Now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Statewide Television SWX Montana TV. He's in studio. I am not. I am live from Ogden, Utah. I'm at the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships, as well as the Big Sky Conference Softball Championships. One of the events of the weekend to watch is the men's javelin throw. So that's underway. Eight of the top 12 uh, athletes in the men's javelin throw, in terms of seating, are from Montana or Montana State. Dylan Kipp has the top qualifying time, but there's a bunch of athletes. They could push for points in that, so that could be a place where both the Cats and the Grizz men's teams score a lot of points. I had that on my top five uh, events to watch coming into this thing, so we'll keep you up to date with what's going on with that. A couple of the field events that are going on tomorrow uh, here at the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships includes the women's triple jump. Carla Nicosia, she is a champion triple jumper out of Columbia Falls. She started her career at the University of Montana. Last time there was an outdoor championship, for Big Sky Garments Track and Field in 2019. Carla Nicosia took second place in the women's triple jump. Then she thought she had the horrible and tragic fortune of having her senior year canceled when last year's spring season was canceled. But because of the reinitiation of of the year lost for some of those spring athletes, Carla Nicosia is back as a fifth-year senior. And in the meantime, it's been two years she was continuing her education. She she wanted she needed to go uh, get some of the sciences that Montana State offered, so she transferred across the hill. So she goes from Grizz to Cat, the very rare tr- transfer that we see across the rivalry in track and field. But she is an outstanding, outstanding triple jumper and should be somebody that people from around Montana have a lot of pride in because this young lady, I observed her in Missoula and Bozeman. She works her absolute tail off. She is as a hard of a worker in terms of training. Outside of practice, as I've ever seen, I, I first learned who she was because she was running the football stadium in Missoula pretty much every day I was at football practice. And I was asking the, the Sports Info guys, like, who's this girl? When is she going to be uh, a stud or, or somebody to be reckoned with? Because that was when she was just a freshman. Um, but then she, she's really turned it on and figured it out. And she's not one of not only the best in the conference, but one of the best in the region as well. She's triple jumped almost 42 feet this year, which is by far the number one seed coming into this track and field championships. She will jump tomorrow at noon. So you can follow us at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter. I'll give you all the results from that. But I caught up with Carla earlier this week. This is part of our Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships preview series presented by Skyline Sports. Skyline Sports every day every season for all your up-to-date track and field championships and softball championship results. Either follow us on Twitter at Skyline Sports MT or visit SkylineSportsMT.com awesome. Well, happy now to continue our Big Sky Conference track and field coverage. We got athletes from across the state of Montana and across the Big Sky Conference joining us here on Nuanez now, and we are happy now to welcome in a Montana native and a fifth-year senior at the at Montana State University, Carla Nacasia. And Carla, this is a, this is a fascinating time. but How are you feeling? I mean, you're you're heading down to Ogden soon. What's the vibe like? How are you feeling about your, maybe what could be one of your last track meets of your career?
2: I am super excited. I'm feeling as fresh and as healthy as I've ever felt. So I'm super excited to get down to Ogden and
0: compete. I have to tell you a story. This is funny because I, I cover sports across the state of Montana, but I oftentimes attend football and basketball practice, particularly here in Missoula. And uh, I saw I, I, when I first was uh, going through the marks and asking who maybe I could interview lead, some seniors and some top performers from Montana State, I had known that you had transferred from Montana to Montana State, but then I remembered that you were always running the stairs, Washington Grizzly Stadium or the Adams Center. When I saw your picture, I was like, oh, that's the girl that used to always be at the football stadium or in the basketball arena running the stairs and just working out so hard. So take me back to those times. I mean, it seems like you've always been very motivated uh, to reach this this end game and, and be a top performer. So you know, when you were first breaking into track and field at the University of Montana, what was that like?
2: Um, Well, Adam and Brian were big believers in putting in the work to achieve goals. And I grew up on the foundation that champions aren't born, they're made. So I have always worked hard my entire life, maybe sometimes a little too hard. (laughs) But I have always just believed that if you put in the work, you'll achieve your goals.
0: You've competed in this Big Sky Conference Outdoor Championship before, and I know you've had success at it as well. I believe that you uh, even earned a medal when the last time the meet was in Missoula a couple springs ago. So, what will you take? What will you take from that experience uh, a couple of years back, going into now uh, this year uh, that maybe you can channel and, and sort of uh, focus as, as you head into this this year, your fifth year senior Big Sky Conference Outdoor Championship.
2: The difference between the year I took second and this year is my jumps and my performances have been substantially better. I really benefited from having that full year of training and working hard through COVID and the pandemic. I took that entire time just to work as hard as I could and to focus on the things I needed to work on to go over 40 feet, and every meet so far I've had for the Bobcats, I've achieved that goal, so I'm super excited to get a chance, and sitting on top of the conference and triple jump, I'm looking forward to maintaining that position.
0: Carla Kosia joining us on the Rangish Brothers RV phone line. She's a fifth-year senior at Montana State, and one of the top-ranked performers in the Big Sky Conference heading into Saturday's women's triple jump final. And Carla, take us back to your days at Columbia Falls. I mean, I know that Montana, I've always argued this, and this is why I love covering track on our show here, Nuana's Now, because I think that some of the best athletes, period, that come out of the state of Montana are women's track athletes. And that's on full display, both when you go to the Big Sky Conference meet and the great competitors from both montana state and montana but then you look at some of the great girls that have come out of montana in recent years like mckenna morley you know a national level uh, cross country and distance runner the, the aragon sisters and and uh, you know even lauren hagan now who's jumping over at the university of washington so what do you think it is about montana that cultivates such good track athletes and what do you remember about your time at columbia falls that sort of set the table for you to be able to then compete at the division one level
2: So it's actually a funny story. My uh, track coach in high school, Jamie Hines, he reached out to me in junior high and said, because I did not triple jump until I got to high school. So he found me at one of my junior high track practices in eighth grade. And he pulled me aside and goes, you will be my next state champion triple jumper. So this is what I need you to do. So that just kind of set the tone. I never thought I'd be a triple jumper going into high school track. But then I was his um, next state champ in the triple jump. So he definitely pushed me and helped me achieve some major goals that I've had. And he helped me get to the Division One level as well.
0: What are all the factors that and go I into honestly, making a great triple jumper?
2: <laughs> you have to have speed. You have to have really good power. Um, foot, foot ground contacts are big time. You have to be quick on your feet. Um, and I think it's really mental, too. You have to have the mindset to be able to do it well.
0: The, there's there's marks in track and field, and especially in certain events that are just the the, the holy grails, right? The marks that you want to hit. If you're throwing the hammer, for example, as a woman, yeah, two hundred feet—that's kind of the the mark you okay. want to get to. And I've talked—I actually talked to Lauren Higgin about this last summer, who's a Missoula Sentinel graduate, and now I jump it at the University mm-hmm. of Washington. She's the all-class triple jump record holder in the state of Montana, and she was saying that she was always so fixated on that 40 foot mark, which is such an, uh, such a, a, a barometer, such a, such an elite mark in women's triple jump. Mm-hmm. And once she got herself to not manifest and, and freak out and, and, and sort of dwell on this, this specific mark and just let it fly, then she started breaking 40 feet consistently. So, I mean, sometimes does the, mm-hmm. does the, the, the mark get in the way or, I mean, how do you, how do you conquer these, these big intimidating goals?
2: You know, there's always marks, like the 40 foot barrier. If you cross that, you definitely are elite. And then once you cross it and once you've jumped it, you'll always jump it. But I always just try and not fixate on marks or rankings because when you do, you tighten up a little and then it makes it a lot harder to jump that far and achieve those marks and barriers.
0: Carla Nicosia joining us. She's a senior at Montana State University. She competes in the Triple Jump Saturday at the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships, also native of Columbia Falls, here on is Now, 1029 ESPN, as well as statewide television, SWX Montana TV. Take us through what this meet might be like because it's an interesting one, right? I mean, first of all, tell us about the fact that you are actually getting to compete in this meet because I know probably last spring was probably a terrible time for you and, and other uh, athletes in your class because it was like everything just got called off. All of a sudden, maybe you don't even get to finish your your college career, but now you get another shot. You get to compete in the championships one more time. So just talk about that element, the fact that you do kind of get this, this last hurrah to sort of uh, complete your college career.
2: I'm super excited and I'm super blessed to be able to compete in another conference championship because there definitely were thoughts that I was going to end my outdoor career, not having another season. So I'm blessed to be able to, and I mean, every jump counts and every jump matters. So I'm just going to go in and just cherish all six jumps and make
0: the most out of it. And then there's the dynamic of the fact that this spring season you guys have gotten to compete often, which is a good thing. But it's mostly been in-state or within the region. I know there's been a couple invites that certain uh, high-achieving athletes have gone to. But there's a lot of the big sky that you haven't seen on a team-by-team basis. So how does that element, the fact that you're going to be competing against athletes from your own conference that you haven't really seen much in in quite some time, how does that influence just your mindset as a competitor?
2: Uh, You know, I like to go into meets, particularly Uh, big meets, just focusing on myself. I try not to think too much about who I'm competing against because that can also kind of get in the way and ruin your mindset and make you tighten up. So I'm just going to go in, focus on myself. Uh, A competition is a competition, and especially a conference. There's a lot of people that talk big jumps. Out of the blue, and there's people that kind of choke. So I just like to keep to myself and just really feed off the competition.
0: That's also such a fascinating element. Is the fact that what you can do and what you will do are two separate things. It's completely mental, and preparing yourself is is such a uh, an interesting and challenging part of this. So. What is your preparation, Carla? I mean, what, what, what do you go through in your mind as you are sort of preparing yourself to get ready for uh, this finale that happens on Saturday morning?
2: You know, I actually go on a walk every morning and just go through my cues and mentally go through jumps and watch videos and stuff. But I always just think, drive out the back, eyes up, mark off the board patience and hold your second phase, get your feet up and hold into the pit. And I just constantly think that I just go through mentally and visually what I can do to achieve my goals.
0: That's why track and field is the greatest, because it does take so much of the mental aspect as well as elite athleticism as well. Carla Nicosia joining us. She is a senior at Montana State. The number one mark in the Big Sky Conference in the triple jump, 41 feet and 3 inches, entering this weekend's Big Sky Conference Outdoor Championships. She jumps on Saturday morning. So, Carla, last thing for you, then, take us through just what, what, what's your mindset? What are you feeling right now? How are, how are you getting ready for this meet? And what will, what will gauge success? I mean, how, how do you go and affirm uh, that number one ranking as you enter the meet? And, and how do you go home and, and, and be satisfied in your last Big Sky Outdoor Championships? I just
2: need to go out and do what I know I can do. Um I have had such good coaching and preparation in the weight room with Ryan, our strength coach, and Dustin, our jumps coach. They've done everything to help me succeed, and I've put in everything, and I've done everything that I can to put myself in a position to succeed as well. So I just need to go out there and relax and do what I know what I can do.
0: Well, Carla, from us here at ESPN, as well as SWX Montana Television, everybody around the state, I know we're all rooting for you. Best of luck this weekend. Travel safe on the way down there. And uh, we wish you great success on Saturday in, in one of your last college meets. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much.
0: There you go, Carla Licosia, the top seed in the women's triple jump, a Montana State senior. And a great story, Columbia Falls native, who's developing one of great... Uh, jumpers, horizontal jumpers, and all the Big Sky Conference. Duane is now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. If you're watching on TV, you can see Regime Seabrook in studio. I'm not in studio. I'm about 500 miles south of Missoula. I'm here in Ogden, Utah, at the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships. We'll give you an update on how Carla does tomorrow. We'll also have full updates from everything that's happening here. In the most recent update to give you. Drake Schneider, man, one of the most impressive athletes in the state of Montana right now. This kid, a former walk-on from Euclid, Wisconsin, he's a junior now at Montana State. Earlier this year... He ran 50 seconds and change in the 400-meter hurdles. If that sounds ridiculous, it's because it is. Second-fastest time in the history of the Big Sky Conference, one of the 20-fastest times in the world this year. This guy just basically jogged his way to a 51-second and change in the preliminary heat. He sprinted his way, I should say, all the stretch run, and they kind of cruised over the finish line. Didn't want to empty the tank. But this guy, one of the best... Uh, 400-meter hurdlers, not just in the Big Sky Conference, not just in the country, but on planet Earth. He's a top 20 guy in that event right now, and pretty impressive from him to move into the final. So we'll keep giving you all the good track and field uh, results. One other thing from the over in the men's javelin, 10 of the 12 top seeds in that were either from Montana or Montana State. Dylan Kipp, who's joined us on this show previously, 230 feet and change, his uh, top mark coming into this thing, He does not qualify for the finals, so he is out. Uh, But a couple other Montana State and Montana athletes are in the mix to score points, so we'll give you an update on the men's jab as well. We're also going to talk USC versus Miami football. In the early 2000s, who did it better? Who had a bigger impact on the game? Who had a bigger impact on society? Was it Reggie Bush and those boys, Willis McGee, Clinton Portis and those boys? We'll get back to that and more. Regime Seabrook, Colter Nuanez. Nuanez now. Keep it right here, 102.9 ESPN Missoula.
1: Radio with special guest
0: Ditch the sports talk show thing and just do a music show. What do you think, Regime? That's what podcasts have to dark for, brother. You talk
1: about technology. Let's put it to use. Don't talk about it. Let's be about it. I'm all about about it. Let's hey, go. Let's
0: be about, hey, you know me, dude. I, I got all the hours in the world after dark. You're the one that's got all these kids.
1: Well, uh, first of all, only have two. Don't put that out there for a brother because he'll get a, catch a label <laughs> quick in Missoula. That's number one. And then number two, like I'm down, brother. Like it's It's... Let's promote positivity,
0: productivity, let's talk sports, culture. I don't care. Let's do it. Sign me up.
2: Sign
0: me up. Yeah, I love it. Nuon is now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV. If you're watching on SWX, you see Regime, you don't see me. That's because I'm sitting right here on the 50-yard line, Stewart Stadium, sixth floor of the press box, watching the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships, Women's 400-meter hurdles, uh, initial heat just in the books. Montana had a uh, athlete that got second in their heat, so we'll give you more of an update once I can get full names because we only got last names here on the Jumbotron. But a uh, fun day of track and field here. As you heard in the sports center there, Tanessa Morris from Montana, the first individual champion of the weekend for the Grizzlies. And for the Montana State Bobcats, Duncan Hamilton won the 3,000-meter steeplechase, and Lucy Corbett wins the women's high jump. A couple other contenders, for Montana State, uh, currently in the mix. I know they got a couple guys competing for the Javelin title right now uh, as that takes place. And Drake Schneider all, all also going to be in the mix uh, in the 400-meter hurdles as well. In softball right now, the University of Montana, they got off to the, a good start yesterday, 6-3 against Sacramento State to drop the Hornets into the loser's bracket. A lot of upsets in this tournament so far because Weaver State, the top seed, they lost to Sac State this morning uh four to three so weaver State, and that was after a 2-1 loss to uh, to portland state so weaver state the regular season champion and the the tournament host is out uh, of this tournament montana meanwhile they dropped their second game of the tournament to southern utah three to one the thunderbirds are the second seed in this tournament but montana bounces back in a big way they hold on for a 7-6 win over northern colorado to advance into another loser out game which is taking place right now. About 5 o'clock was when first pitch was supposed to uh, have taken place. I'm looking for the live stats right now, but I I can't seem to find any. We'll give you a score here as soon as we possibly can. But that's here and over there. Let's talk some uh, college football, but some nostalgic college football regime. This actually comes from a text from a user uh, earlier on this week. So, by the way, uh, is now, you can get a hold of us, 406-361-3688. That's 361-3688. You can call or text that number, And if you have any questions or comments or whatever, you want to be a part of the show, go ahead and text that number. And Tommy can forward those right along to me in a variety of different ways, whether it's on Facebook or on my cell phone or whatever. But we will eventually get to your text, even if it is days or even weeks later. But a text from a user, a listener uh, earlier this week asked... Is Reggie Bush in the clear at USC? It seems like they're starting to glorify him a little bit more. So if you you live under a rug, if you live under a rock, you've been following this saga for quite some time. Reggie Bush, one of the most revered and uh, famous and some of the greatest star power of any college football player of the 21st century, definitely one of the most beloved players and one of the most uh, dominant players during his time at USC. And that was definitely the heyday, the, the height of the Trojan horse when Pete Carroll had USC just absolutely rolling. It seemed like they had NFL rosters from coast to coast. But Reggie Bush, uh, he, he was stripped of his Heisman for some recruiting violations, and there was a lot of re- uh, violations put on USC as well. But now he's sort of re-emerged and they seem to be reengaging with him. I don't necessarily want to debate the the, uh, the reputation of Reggie Bush at USC, but it got me thinking that text from one of our listeners combined with the fact that Alabama – had six players drafted in the first round of the NFL draft uh, this last year. That tied the 2003 Miami Hurricanes for the most first-round draft picks off of a single team. And so it got me thinking uh, kind of nostalgically about those, those two schools, USC, the power of the West Coast uh, back in the early 2000s, and Miami, the power of the East Coast back in the early 2000s. So before we get sort of into the debate of of some of the great guys that played at these schools regime and, and maybe uh, maybe some discussion on who did it better. What do you remember about that time? Because it seemed like that was uh, sort of the, the, the last peak of college football. I know it's still big now, but it seemed like back then, in the early 2000s, those guys were rock stars, guys like Matt Lannard and stuff. I mean, those guys were not just college football stars. Those guys are dating like Hollywood actresses and stuff. So it seemed like they were on an even higher pedestal than maybe even uh, you, you get to today.
1: Yeah, to me, USC, those guys were, like, shiny and nice. They were really backstreet boys. And to, to stay within the same vein, the U was the Wu-Tang Clan of, of yesteryear. Um, at that time, it was so fun to watch from afar, just from, like, a like a cultural, sociological uh, perspective of what these two schools were kind of putting out there from a social and cultural perspective. It, w- it was crazy. I, I think it kind of helped shape... Um, Parts of the face of college football and it definitely helped shape uh, the NFL for, for, for many years to come when you're talking about Ed Reed and Warren Sapp and dudes like that that just came in and totally, totally put the NFL on its ear.
0: The cultural aspect of this is so fascinating because I do think it impacted both the national perception of these two schools at that time, but also it, it heavily impacted this the way that they were recruiting. I mean, to, to, to say it broadly... USC was Hollywood. You want to come be a star? You want to come be a starlet? You want to come hang out with the most beautiful people in the world? Come be a Trojan. Miami... Was Miami Beach, Liberty City, straight up like Grand Theft Auto almost? you are talking about party boats and you know late night clubs and all that sort of stuff. So it was sort of a dichotomy what they were using in recruiting and sort of the reputation they had nationally too, right?
1: Absolutely. You went you went from just straight like street pulse of Miami to the Hollywood Hills of USC and just the. The, the culture, counterculture between those two schools and then just communities in and of itself. like that I, I might have just given ESPN that next 30 for 30 right there. Um, what, uh, what a great time for football and what a great time for society to observe these, these young men that help mold and shape what is now known as the NFL landscape.
0: When you look at the top two schools since the turn of the 21st century, so since 2000, the top two schools to put players in the NFL over that 20-year span are USC and Miami, but actually not in that order. Miami and then USC. Mm -hmm. And it's not even close. Both of these uh, schools have put almost 100 guys in the NFL. The the Hurricanes had this unbelievable streak where I think there was 174 weeks of NFL football where at least one Miami Hurricane scored a touchdown. I think over the last 20 years, Miami Hurricanes have accounted for something like 650 touchdowns in the NFL. And, And that's not even to mention... Some of the great defensive guys like just named Ed Reed and Warren Stapp, not to mention guys like Sean Taylor and Stud. You know, Vince Wolf or, Stud. you know, on down the line. So broadly, before we get to the details, before we get to the, the specific guys who played at each place. Who do you think had the better set of NFL guys in terms of the way that their NFL careers turned out? Miami.
1: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say when I look at guys that came out of USC versus the guys that came out of Miami, I, I compare Pro Bowl appearances, All Pros, Super Bowl appearances. How many of those guys from Miami are first ballot Hall of Famers? Like there's 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 the impact, and then there's the lasting impact that resonates beyond when they stop playing. And if that's the case. It's the U. No one, no one calls USC the U. Anytime you say the U, you, you know who you're talking about. So just from that perspective alone, give it up to the storm known as the hurricane.
0: I went through a bunch of old rosters and a bunch of old draft boards and all that stuff. And so here's, here's just quickly some of my top players from USC uh, during that Pete Carroll era between 2000 and 2009. Clay Matthews. Mark Sanchez, I know he wasn't as good in the NFL, but he did make it to the AFC Championship game two years in a row with the New York Jets. But either way, he was a great player in college. Cedric Ellis, Mike Patterson, a couple defensive linemen. Taylor Mays, Brian Cushing, who was an all-pro linebacker for the Texans. Ray Malaluga and Lopa Tatupu, a couple Polynesian guys who were outstanding linebackers in the NFL. Justice Winston was a great offensive lineman. Mike Williams, who did not live up to the hype in the NFL, but was definitely one of the dominant wide receivers in the college game of his time. Dwayne Jarrett, who was actually better in the NFL than he probably was at USC. But then Lindell White, Carson Palmer, Matt Leinert, Troy Palomalu, and then, of course, number one ever at USC, or at least in the last 20 years, one Reggie Bush. All those guys are great. I think all those guys were actually as good, if not better, college players than a lot of the Miami guys. I think the thing that makes Miami different than almost anyone else though is a lot of these guys that played at Miami were stars in in college but they became legends when they got to the NFL. You mentioned Ed Reed, you mentioned Ray Lewis and and Warren Sapp and those guys but you also have guys like Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis uh, Najee Davenport as running backs. that were all on the exact same team. Look at the receivers. Andre Johnson Andre, I was going to say AJ, that's the first one that springs to board I mean, Frank Gore was in that running backs room Stud. too. Uh, talk about tight end. You you talk about Jeremy Shockey, Kellen Winslow the second, Bubba Franks, and Jimmy Graham. I mean, and, and Greg Olson. I mean, those are five four line Hall of Fame tight ends.
1: And I hate to say it, Aaron Hernandez, Florida. He's oh, like Florida. Florida. Sorry, sorry. It's uh, my bad. Same state though. They pro- they just produce athletes. My bad.
0: That's exactly right. And here's what we're gonna do. It's Nuwana's now 102.9 ESPN Missoula and SWX Montana Television. We gotta get out one more time, but we're gonna continue this conversation. So we're gonna continue to tell you all the reasons why the Miami Hurricanes are better than the USC Trojans uh, in historical legacy during the 21st century. Right here on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. I'm not afraid of Again, I wish I could see Regime's dance moves right now, but I hope everybody that's watching on SWX Montana Television is watching my main man, Groove, because I'm sure he's doing it just right. Nuwana's now with 9 <laughs> ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. I'm Colton Nuwana's. I'm not in studio. I'm live from Stewart Stadium here in Ogden, Utah. The first day of the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships. I guess the third day, but the first official full day. The, uh, the event got kicked off with the women's heptathlon and the men's decathlon over the last uh, couple days, and then full-fledged, the meet got underway today. Field events started about noon, and then the running events started about 1.30, so we're winding down. We got about, uh, we got a couple more events here. They are actually going to push back the men's and women's 10K finals for about an hour, so those will be run about 7.25 and about uh, 8.05 uh, for those two races because they wanted to be a little less hot uh, because there's a about four dozen athletes entered in each of those races, and obviously it's ten thousand meters. So uh, you don't want to be running when it's eighty degrees in the middle of the, the hot sunny day, because uh, that could be a little bit dangerous. But we'll have full results for you uh, throughout uh, Monday's show. You can also follow us at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter, or you can go to SkylineSportsMT.com to check out all the real time results as well. Uh, nothing really new to report since the last time I gave you some updates. It does sound like the men's javelin has gone uh, final. I don't know if it's actually been uh, officially scored yet, uh, but it looks like it's it's coming down to it. So Cantor Coverdale from Montana State, he pops a 221-foot, 4-inch throw on his first throw of, I guess, his second attempt of at the competition, and that right now stands as the top mark. Evan Todd, a Calispo Glacier native who's a sophomore at Montana he sits in fourth place at 2.088, and he does not have a throw left, so he's going to be locked in at, at fourth uh, unless anybody comes up and, and gets him. But it looks like I don't think anybody else has a throw. So Cantor Coverdale, the Big Side Conference champion from Montana State. Brock Weiniger from MSU finishes seventh. And then from Montana, Evan Todd, he finishes fourth. And Matthew Hockett from Montana finishes eighth. So a lot of points scored for the two Montana schools on the men's javelin as that one uh, goes final. We're gearing up now for the men's 200 meter uh, prelim so there, there'll be two different heats and then we'll have the top eight advance to tomorrow's final so uh, th- this will be a fun one to watch here uh, as well. Rajim Seabrook is in studio uh, broadcasting with me. We do this each and every Friday. We will for the foreseeable future and uh, it'll be fun to have Rajim back in the fold because I always love talking all things with him. So Rajim... What do you want to do? You want to keep it comparing and contrasting the USC Miami teams of the early 2000s, or do you want to get back into the NFL schedule? We'll do whatever you want,
1: buddy. Before we do that, I got to thank Tommy. My man's been playing Wu Tang bangers and then ends it with Rick James. Like, I got to, I got I to gotta like make sure that you know I'm not dancing too funky or too odd because people are watching at t- at home on television. But this is the best way to end the week on a Friday, which is the second best day that ends in Y outside of payday. So. It's a, good, it's a good end to the week, you know what I'm saying?
0: No question. So what do you think? Are we doing? Are we doing Clinton Portis versus Reggie Bush, or are we yeah. doing uh, some more NFL schedule? I, I say uh, let's stick in
1: the college ranks. You and I don't get to do that a lot because you are like the fountain of information when it comes to the NCAA. So to be able to step into a wheelhouse and not feel insecure with you not being in the studio, I say let's go. Let's stick to college this week.
0: Okay, we're gonna play a little game here. Then we're gonna we're gonna say either or, and then you're gonna tell me. So I'm gonna ask you which guy you'd rather have, and then and then you're gonna tell me who, and then you're gonna tell me why. All right? Okay. And we can judge this based on either college or pro, whatever it's it's whatever you want. Yeah, whatever you want to explain it. So, okay. number one, okay. Reggie Bush or Devin Hester?
1: Ooh. I'm gonna say Devin Hester actually. Um, Reggie to me never really panned out the way. I thought he was going to in the pros. I mean, he had an okay career, not as nice as, as projected. But Devin Hester just, you can kind of put him anywhere on the field. <laughs> Offense, defense, special teams, doesn't matter. He's just like kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife out there on the field. I'll tell you Devin Hester over Reggie Bush.
0: When it comes to the quarterbacks, that's actually an interesting part of this whole thing is that Miami actually really hasn't had that outstanding uh, pro-level quarterback since probably, I don't know, Bernie Kozar or maybe Gino Toretta. I was thinking of, Gino Toretta, boy from, boy from Long Island. But the those early 2000s hurricane teams, that was like, it was so funny because you have like this non-swaggy sort of dorky guy and Ken Dorsey leading the way for all these <laughs> other guys who are just like absolute... Party boy swag monsters, and it was like all these dudes who are so funny and so entertaining, and then this guy who's like got no bravado whatsoever leading the way for the Hurricanes.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't get it. The uh, those guys made Ken Dorsey look like an all-American because you see what, how he panned out in the pros. Um, yeah, it's 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 a tale of the tapes when you compare the, the the quarterback situations. To me, what was more important? you know what i want to touch upon and i want you to kind of get back to the to the verses was just the and use this word the swag miami had and how they kind of put swag on the map um if you if you go back to like when they broke out in their uniforms the year after Warren Sapp left it kind of changed the game for everything all of a sudden under armour started producing differently nike started producing differently fox sports started producing differently so If we can circle back to that after we finish your verses, let's talk about the cultural impact that the U still has on the league.
0: Let's do it, then, because I think that's the most fascinating part because neither USC or Miami, they've both been okay the last handful of years, but neither one has been even close to what they were 15 or 20 years ago. Right, And part of that is just... All of the stuff that's happened in terms of coming out with all the recruiting violations and all the quote-unquote scandal. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the Reggie Bush situation that had him get his Heisman Trophy stripped, it basically amounted to the University of Miami, or excuse me, U- uh, University of Southern Cal and their boosters paying for housing and a house for his parents. And I mean, there's just all sorts of crazy illegal benefits going on. But you're talking about you're gifting kids' parents houses. That's an amazing level of dedication to breaking the recruiting rules. But then you talk about the other side with Miami. I mean, they had their big boosters uh, first back in the '80s with like guys like Luther Campbell from Two Live Crew, <laughs> on down into the early 2000s where you're talking about party boats and you're talking about you know whatever, a bunch of unsavory things we can't talk about on the, yeah, the radio. Yeah, the FCC it's doesn't drugs like that stuff. Or whether it's you know ladies, whatever. But uh, I guess my question for you though is, Regime. First of all, that that was kind of like the life in the fast lane, high style of recruiting, but. You know These teams have been as good, and I think it's a direct impact. I think they haven't been as good because they can't recruit in in as unsavory of a fashion.
1: Well, I mean, that and and you couple the fact that these teams, historically, school-wise, university-wise, are just loaded with bare, with, with just phenomenal talent. When you put a MAR kind of streak on a program like that, it I mean, it hurts recruiting. University of Montana, you know, a couple of years ago, it hurt us on, on out here in Big Sky country. So, when you have such prominent dominant programs that get hit and tagged and, and 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 beat up due to their own you know own poor choices and militias it makes recruiting and scouting really tough but um The other thing is other programs have kind of risen up through those ashes of of places like USC, of places like the university, you know, even other schools have kind of upped their game and upped the ante to start competing with recruiting uh, players of that ilk and caliber. So there's also some of that that other universities and colleges are offsetting programs like USC and the University of Miami by getting better themselves.
0: So final answer then, it's the U versus USC, right? I mean, it's the U over USC in this comparing and contrasting of some of the great football programs of the beginning part of the 20th century.
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's the U, 110%. Watch Monday Night Football. The U started all this, the Ohio State, the University of Albany. That all started with the U. So, like, when you, I mean, just that stamp right there, as you say, the U, it's the U all the way, hands down. No more questions. Two
0: you want us now on tonight, ESPN Missoula? If you missed anything in the show, it's been an awesome show. It's awesome doing these remote broadcasts from across the country. I'm live in Ogden, Utah at Stewart Stadium, the home of the Big Sky Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships. Regime Seabrook back in the studio uh, holding it down for me. If you missed anything in this show, we shared interviews with Tanessa Morris, the recently crowned champion of the hammer throw at the Big Sky Conference and uh, the women's hammer throw. We also shared an interview with Melanie Michael from the Grizz softball team as well. Uh, Her squad stayed alive with a 7-6 win over Northern Colorado earlier today. They are playing now in a nightcap. It it started about an hour ago uh, trying to get an official score there uh, when it comes to um, Grizz softball as well. But uh, maybe I'll be able to snag one just real quick here before we get out so you can have a, a live update here. Um, but either way, Grizz remain alive here, uh, and that's pretty fun to see uh, two different Big Sky championships playing on and playing out. We also heard from Melanie Michael from the Grizz softball team. And, of course, Regime Seabrook has helped us out all along the way. Carla Nicosia, the Columbia Falls native and a senior at Montana State, she joined us in the second hour. And all that can be found on our podcast. Just search Nuanez now, N-U-A. N-E-Z, that's N-U-A-N-E-Z, all your various podcast hosting platforms. Rate, review, subscribe, five stars preferred. The podcast is presented proudly by Sportsbet Montana, Blackfoot Communications, and the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. Regime, you're the man. Thanks so much for doing it, my man. What, well, you got any big plans this week? What's going on in the world of the Seabrooks?
1: Uh, You know, Just uh, me and the kids and uh, a lot of birthday parties this weekend about to uh, – Actually doing the Tutu Trot on Sunday. Come out on Sunday to Silver Park. Support the Boys and Girls Club. Show some love to some kids who need some love. That's what I'm doing on Sunday. Emceeing a marathon.
0: Azul is home to so many great nonprofits and so many great uh, organizations that help all sorts of people particularly the youth of the community. But the boys and girls comes by as cut and dry as it possibly can be. It's a positive place you can send your kids after school. Keep them safe, keep them engaged, make them some friends. You might make some friends yourself, but it's always an awesome organization to be a part of. So do go check out the 2-2 Trot and uh, raise money for a great cause and have yourself some fun as well. Love the kids. Big Sack Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships is almost in the books. We'll have full results Monday on Nuana is now at 4 p.m. In the meantime, I hope everybody out there has a phenomenal weekend. Be safe. For the boys in the back, Tommy Evans and Reese. Plus, my main man Regime. Appreciate you listening. See you on Monday. I hope you guys have a good time. This is Mike Nugent with. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat.